Good morning, Lake Avenue Church. It's a very uh, relaxing day for me here today <clears throat> because my immediate boss, Scott White, is not here. He is, uh, <laughs> he is preaching in another church, and the big boss, Jeff Madison, is also not here. He is out there in Chicago. So it's just you and me, guys. It's just, just us. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. So I'll be, you know, I just want to make it very clear that I am just a substitute teacher only for today, okay? So um, I don't know, maybe you, you can do your homework while I take a nap or, or, or if you want to go to recess, that's fine too. I think that's what the substitute, substitute teachers do, at least in movies, I don't know. But, <laughs> but <clears throat> I wanted to say something out loud though. Uh, so in the first service, I, I disclosed a secret that I had been carrying uh, in my life for uh, almost 20 years. It was uh, weighing heavy on my heart. Uh, I kept it uh, a secret from uh, my pastoral colleagues, my mentors, even from my wife. Uh, but I had to disclose it today, uh, mainly because Jeff was propping me up last week as this great preacher. Next week, Matthew John is going to speak, and he's this amazing preacher you have to hear. And I'm, I'm hearing that, I was cringing, like, you know, oh man, like, I feel guilty of the secret I've been carrying. So, <clears throat> so I'm going to say that to you too. <clears throat> I need a moment. <laughs> um, while I was in seminary, I flunked my preaching course. <laughs> Really? <laughs> there were two preaching courses, preaching one and preaching two. I flung both of them fair and square. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you can check, actually, Dr. Stephen Farris, and I'm, I'm not making this up. Dr. Stephen Farris, professor of homiletics at University of Toronto in Canada. He was my professor. And uh, he called me to his office and he said, Matthew, I really like you and you have almost straight A's in all other courses, but I cannot give you a passing grade for this preaching classes. Um, so I begged and I pleaded <laughs> and I showed him my puppy face and, <laughs> and, and finally he allowed me to rework my assignment and I passed with a B minus. And uh, that is the lowest grade I have had in my entire academic career, starting from elementary school all the way to my PhD at Fuller. Uh, so you are in for a B minus sermon today, okay? I don't want you to, <laughs> I don't want you to get your hopes up. <laughs> Just want you to know that. Uh, let's, uh, let's read from the Word of God. Can you rise with me? Amen. <laughs> Uh, we are reading from Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 8. And I'm reading from NASB version. I'm, I'm familiar with it. That's why I'm reading from NASB. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging up men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria 
and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Did you know that Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world as we speak today? There are many statistics I can quote, and I was going through one of them at BBC. You know, Civitas UK did a you know, survey and came up with the same result. But here is a kicker. Christianity is also the fastest growing religion in most of the regions of the world it is being persecuted. Now that's the strange irony, isn't it, right? And you know about China, right? Like China is a classic example. I read a statistics, I don't know how official it is. It said the number of Christians in India exceeded, sorry, number of Christians in China exceeded the number of official members of Communist Party in China. That is why, yes, that is why there is this big crackdown against Christians. And there is an explosive growth for Christianity in Iran of places. And I'm coming from India, and India is where now the Hindu fundamentalist government is persecuting Christianity like anything. But still, it is one of the most fertile grounds for the gospel to grow. And uh, remember in 1997, a group of us young folks, uh, we were all single, you know, uh, and uh, all these dreams and visions and passion. And we went to my hometown in India, it's called Kochi. And uh, we, had, uh, we were having dinner in a restaurant. And then one of us had a bright idea. Let's come here every Thursday and have dinner and we will start praying for the city. And we all said, yes, let's do it. And after a while I said, let's start a church. But who will do the church? None of us are seminary trained. None of us know anything about ministry. We all had different careers at the time. But we said, we'll do it. We had a couple of seminary dropouts in the group. So they became, the, there was no search committee, there was nothing. You know, they became the default leaders. And then we started this church in 1997 or started a prayer group. Fast forward 22 years. I checked the website today morning so that I'm giving you the right information. Exodus Kochi, if you want to Google it, is one of the largest churches in the city of Cochin with 12 12 satellite stations all over this country. Now, that is what is happening. I'm saying this because I don't want you to believe all this narrative you are hearing from the media, which says, oh, Christianity is irrelevant. Christianity is dying. We live in a post-Christian society. It doesn't exist anymore. Culturally, it is true. But Christianity doesn't care about our culture. You know, Christianity is spreading its wings all over the world, particularly where it is being persecuted. And there is this tremendous growth for the gospel and the kingdom that is happening. I also wanted you to know that because we are in the book of Acts. You know one strange thing about the book of Acts? Compared to all other books in the New Testament, 
the book of Acts does not have an ending. If you read the story, it's funny, right? Like, you know, the, it's like building up the action, you know, the story, the story, the story, the story, and finally you come to Acts chapter 28, Paul is just at Rome, there is going to be the trial happening, there is going to be some persecution coming, suddenly the book ends. You're like, what? It's like one of those, one of those independent movies you watch. <laughs> Right, like in you know, independent movies, artsy films, you know, you, you thought you're getting into the story, the hero meets the heroine and there's some action, suddenly the movie ended, you know, the title rolls. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's supposedly very artistic, right? Probably they didn't have budget and they cut it in the end, you know, but anyway, who am I to talk about Hollywood here, but, <laughs> but, but the ending of the acts is almost like that, it's like somebody cut it off. It doesn't have a proper ending. You know why? My theory, my theory is that. Yeah, exactly. We should, you should be up preaching here. I can, what am I doing here? I'm sure you passed the preaching test. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I believe the book of Acts has not come to an end yet. Because what is happening here today is one chapter of the book of Acts. We are all characters in this bigger story that is unfolding until the arrival of, the Christ, arrival of Christ in the establishment of his kingdom. So I want you to know that we are in this action-packed book called the Acts because, you know, I mean, I, I, the book of Acts is the first book in the Bible I read you know, from the beginning to end. Normally it is gospel for other people. I still remember one of my cousins gave me this book and she said, you should read the book of Acts. Because I was 17 at the time. She knew that I like action movies and I like action. And, and, and the book of Acts is like a, it's like a, like a Mission Impossible movie. It keeps unfolding. And, and that we are called to play a role in this amazing book. We are all characters in this bigger bigger story. So the book of Acts, the fact that Pastor Jeff chose this as the, this so-called transition season is no accident. And we are going to feel that as we go along. Now, coming to the text today, it is, uh, it is actually very interesting. It starts in a very, very sad tone with the wave of persecution that is happening to the church. But it ends with a very, very happy ending. It says there was, a, there was much rejoicing in the city. That's the strange irony, right? Like, you know, just like we were talking about, the persecution almost always leads to proclamation. And it brings certain kind of joy that is associated with it. So what is happening in the story is this big mega church in Jerusalem suddenly collapsed. Up to, up to uh, chapter 7, things are not going that bad. Yes, there is persecution, but, you know, they are getting beaten up here and there. They are, being, they are being imprisoned and all that kind of things happening. But on the other side, there is this massive cons co mass conversions happening. Church has big budget because everybody sold, they were not putting tithe into the basket. They sold everything they had brought to the church. That's a big budget church. I want to run that church. What a budget. <laughs> everybody brought everything to the church. Look at the church. 
Peter is the senior pastor. Mother Mary running the women's ministries. And John running the young adults. Man, that's the kind of church I want to be in. That was the coolest church in town. But then, what happened? Acts chapter 7 happened. Where Stephen was murdered in broad daylight. The first martyr of the church, Stephen. And he was killed notoriously. And while he was being stoned, he knelt on the ground and he prayed the same prayer what that his master taught him forgive them father don't this don't let this be on their account forgive them and that's where the acts chapter 7 ends now we are on acts chapter 8 where the persecution now has a different tone now the things are getting darker the church has collapsed only the pastors there, the, the, the disciples, everybody else were scattered into the neighborhoods and into different territories. And now you see there are two kinds of people there. On one side in a chapter 8 verses 1 to 3, what we see is the story of persecution. And then verses 4 to 8, we see proclamation. Right? They go and they go. The scattered community was not just an isolated community. They were, not a, they, were not like a com they were not a community which was afraid of everything, but they were a dangerous community because they were infiltrating the culture. They didn't have power, but you don't need power to infiltrate the culture. Very often, you study history it is good for Christianity to be a minority religion. Because whenever it becomes majority religion, we get power. And power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a Muslim. We are all just human beings. Right? And whenever Christianity is a minority religion, like in China or in India or in Iran, some of these places, then these communities are not just, just being afraid, but they, are, they start infiltrating. They work very slowly, but very powerfully. Very powerfully. And that is a very different impact. Yes, a unified community is a powerful community, but at the same time, a scattered community is a dangerous, dangerous community. They were not afraid of persecution. They turned that into proclamation. So I titled the sermon Hunters and Fishers because I love metaphors. And I'm a storyteller. I'm, I'm not so much of a preacher or not so much of a teacher. I'm a storyteller. That's who I am. I like metaphors. So in the first, part, first section of this passage we read today is a group of hunters. Now these hunters under the leadership, the hero of the hunters, the hero of the first session of the passage is Saul, right? Who we know as Paul. Now, there is this misconception out there that this Saul was a very bad guy, a notorious thug, you know? And then suddenly the Lord met him and he became Paul, this amazing guy. I don't believe that is to be true. I think Saul was always an amazing guy. It's just that he had a different understanding of truth before he met Christ. See, he was a Jew, 
At that time, he was a zealous Jewish leader, and he was hunting for truth. Because there is a different reading of the old Jewish text in the Old Testament, if you can read, if you are a zealous Jew, a particular reading of the text can approve of this kind of killing of Christians. Because killing the infidel is not just outside the Bible too. There could be a, a version of the reading. This is a completely different sermon. I can do it another time on religious violence. The point is, when you come to Saul, he was not necessarily doing anything bad, at least from his perspective. He was trying to be loyal to the truth as he knew it. In his faith, there is only one God, and that God cannot be in the form of a man. That there is a bunch of Christians come and say, well, God came down as a human being, and there is Trinity. Kill the infidel. That kind of makes sense in that context, right? So he was very zealous about his faith. He was a hunter of truth. Truth mattered to him. That's why. That's why I don't think Saul was a villain in the story. I would rather call him an anti-hero in the story. He was hunting for truth. He was sincere. He was hunting for truth. But, but, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. You know, I wish Jesus said, Matthew, I will make you hunters of men. That's what I want to be. You know, our image of a hero, the, the hero figure in, in, my, in my mind, in many of us' mind, is shaped by these action heroes we, we see around us, right? The hunters. You know, I, I remember growing up as a little kid uh, in the 80s as a school kid, looking at the posters of Sylvester Stallone and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, the Terminator, Rambo, Rocky, and, and this is what shaped my, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. I want to be a Rambo who takes my spiritual gun and shoot all the enemies down. I want to preach in big crusades like millions of people. I want 100,000 decision guards. I want to fly in private jets <laughs> and different parts of the world. And I want to save the world. All for Jesus, not for me. It's all for Jesus, by the way. You know? But I wanted to be that hero, Lord. And I just want to be that. I want to be a hunter of truth. I want to prove what truth is in this society. And I want to bring glory to your name. Jesus said, no, Matthew, I want to be a fisher of men. Have you ever gone fishing? Man, <laughs> I have a very close friend in Toronto, my, one of my closest friends. He's actually a neurosurgeon, uh, and his hobby is fishing. And I'm his friend, so I, he forced me to go to fishing with him one day. We were out in nowhere. He has a board and all that paraphernalia, out in the middle of nowhere in a lake, sitting there all day doing nothing. You know, doing nothing except this. This is what was, this was the action, right? You know, this is what, this is what was happening. That, that's fishing, right? And you dare to call it sports. And you see fishing in sports channel. <laughs> Only thing worse than fishing is golfing, if you ask me. <laughs> oh, you didn't like that, eh? I got you. <laughs> Yeah, a bunch of grown men walking around somebody's backyard and talking business all day, and you put it in ESPN and you call it sports. 
Right? I know, yeah, now I have some enemies here. No, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, fishing is not an exciting thing. It is not a Sylvester Stallone thing. It is not a Schwarzenegger thing. You can see I'm from a different era, right? So, <laughs> but, but, but Jesus asked us to do just that. I want you to be a fisher of men, Matthew. See, the beauty of this is my best friend, Leslie, this, this doctor, neurosurgeon I'm talking about. If, I, if, if, if he hear that I'm sick, he will call me and say, Matthew, don't go to emergency room. Don't go to uh, urgent care. I will come. He's a neurosurgeon in a, in, a big in a big hospital and also a professor in the University of Toronto. He will come from his office and he'll come with all his boxes and all that. He will prescribe medicine for me because he is really concerned about me. He's such a good friend. He's a very smart Chinese neurosurgeon. I'm a poor Indian pastor, but this guy really cares about me. That is something about people who go for fishing. I don't know how many of you have friends who go for fishing. There is something about those people. There is something very calming about those people. Because they, they yeah, they, they, in that silence, kind of, they, they become other people. Yeah, it, it molds them in a way. And, and, and that's why, see, see, in this culture particularly, and I'm concerned, and we are approaching another election cycle. Now, there is going to be big cultural wars. It's about to happen. It's going to explode in social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you have. And it is going to happen in churches too. And I'm an outsider. I'm a Canadian. I'm looking at it, and, and like I say, what are these people talking about? They're talking about the same thing, but they're so mad at each other. Just like the hunters and fishers, they are both working for the same God. The hunter Saul is working on the, for the same God as the fisher Philip on the other side. But we are in this hunting for truth culture. Because that gets us more followers. That gets us more likes. And so we get the kick out of that, right? We want to be hunters of truth. But Jesus says, no, no, I want you to be fishers of not truth, men. <laughs> See, we always think of truth as some kind of an objectified idea. What is truth? What is truth? For us, it is a philosophy, or it's an ideology, or it's a number. That is what truth is. I want to prove that truth. I am not ashamed of talking about truth in public. I am not looking at anybody's face. Some people say it with such pride. And I agree with that. I agree with that. You have to speak truth for boldly. But truth is not some object. We cannot objectify truth. Because Jesus said, I am the truth. Christianity says truth is not an object, truth is not an idea, truth is a person. Religions talk about or philosophies talk about truth objectified, then Christianity talk about truth personified. You are not called to be hunters of truth, you are called to be fishers of men. Now that makes all the difference in the world. That brings us to the true hero of that story. His name is Philip. He is the leader of the fishers in that story, right? Now, Philip is not the same Philip as you see in the gospel. Many people think confused because they have the same name. The Philip we see in this passage 
He's a different Philip. Scholars call him Philip the Evangelist. Philip in the Gospel is Philip the Apostle. Okay? Now, the Philip the Evangelist, the first time we see him is in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. That Acts chapter 6, verse 5 is very important. That's where we see the first elected ministry council of the church. Up until that time, it was apostles, you know, the pastors running the show. At that time, they decide, the pastors decide, man, like we are doing too much teaching and preaching. We want to make sure some smart people filled with the Holy Spirit who will help us with all the administration of this mega church we are building here. So let's elect a ministry council. Okay? And Acts chapter 6, verse 5, you have the full list of the seven men who are elected in the council. Number one, Stephen. <laughs> Number two, Philip. Then there are five other guys. Now, you know what happened to the number one guy, right? Don't worry, don't worry, Dan. But <laughs> number one guy just died. He was killed, the first martyr of the church. He just died in broad, broad daylight in Acts chapter 7. Now, Philip is the second one. He is the next in the hit list. Poor Philip. He is running for his life. He is no Rambo. He is no Rocky. He just wants to save his life. So he ran to Samaria of all the places. A Jew, that's the last place a Jew wants to go. He went to Samaria. And because of that, Philip's name became written, you know, he's written in golden letters because Philip is the first person to take the gospel to Samaria. What we, he, what we are witnessing here is a historic thing. The first time gospel entering Samaria. It's a very different territory though, you know. Geographically speaking, Samaria and Judea are like America and Canada, close by, the next states basically, right? Uh, Canada is just north of America in the same way. Samaria is just north of Judea. But politically speaking, or spiritually speaking, or in whatever manner of speaking, Samaria and Judea are like America and North Korea. There are no diplomatic relationship with them. They despise each other. They don't like each other. They want to see the destruction of each other. That's the kind of environment. But Paul, but sorry, Philip, the poor Philip, ran for his life to Samaria, but he was still being dangerous. He was infiltrating the culture. He, was, he turned the persecution, the, the, the venue of persecution, into an opportunity for proclamation. There we see the power of the gospel, an accidental hero. God is looking for accidental heroes. Any heroes you know, Philip was not like a Rambo who was going to do this gospel thing. It happened. That's the way it happens with God all the time. You know, in any heroes that God uses, you, you look at Moses. Moses was called, Moses, go and deliver my people. Moses said, I don't know me, really? And then you go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, go and prophesy me. I'm a kid. Simon Peter, Jesus stepped into his board and Simon Peter the first thing he says is leave me alone I'm a sinful man see that's the way God works that's what God is looking for some accidental heroes God is looking for some people who flung their preaching course to <laughs> preach in mega churches that's the strange way that's the strange way God works right and that's why we are here 
to fall in line with God's calling into play that big role in this action movie he is producing, which is bigger than any Hollywood blockbusters you can ever imagine. We live right in the heart of that action movie. And yes, we are not called to be the hunters of truth, but to be fishers of men. Remember that. Remember that. So here is the ending of the story. My time is up. So I'm going to, the climax of this movie is, the, is fascinating to me. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 21, verses 8 onwards. What happens here is, you know what happened to Saul. Saul became Paul, or Saul, the hunter of truth, became Paul, the fisher of men. And then he became this greatest proclaimer. The, the Saul, the persecutor, became Saul, Paul, the proclaimer. And then here is an incident where Philip and Paul meet for the first time. Paul and Philip meet for the first time. Paul travels around and he goes to Caesarea. Caesarea is all the way up north in Samaria, a God-forsaken town in Samaria. The poor Philip is stuck there. And then comes Saul, uh, Paul. Now, it's not the same Paul. It's the fisherman Paul who is coming to Philip. Introduces himself. And Philip looks at him. My, he is the reason I'm sitting, I'm living in this God-forsaken place. Now he is coming to see me. And now that's the context of the story. I'm going to read it, okay? Acts chapter 21, 8. On the next day, we, which means Paul and the team, we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man, which is Philip the evangelist, had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. You see how the scene changed? Paul, the persecutor, now is the persecuted. The, the tables are turned. The prophecy is coming to him. Paul, don't go back to Jerusalem. Now he's a Christian. Now he's a fisher of men. If you go back to Jerusalem, Paul, don't go. You are going to die. We don't want you to die. Philip the evangelist, his daughters, his friends, everybody is pleading, don't go, Paul. Stay with us. Stay with us. You, can, you are welcome here. Now we are all fishers of men. We are, in, this, we are in, it, in it together. What a scene. What a character arc. What a story in which the characters change dramatically. And there is this friendship between Philip and Paul, which is so deep-seated at the very depth of their being, right? And then Paul says, when we heard this, we as well as the local residents began, sorry, yeah, sorry, he says, When we, when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? What are you doing, Philip? Don't break my heart. 
You know about persecution. You remember I was on the other side. Don't stop me from going. What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A missionary woman once said, a faith not, not worth dying for is not worth living for. That is exactly what Paul says. Now the persecutor became the persecuted. The hunter became the prey. And he takes it in and he embraces it because he knows that is exactly where the power of God is manifesting. Right in the middle of persecution. That is exactly what things are going to turn around. The worst enemies, Paul and Philip, become the best friends. Become the best friends. What a redemption. What a twist in the story. And that is the power of the gospel. That is what the Holy Spirit can bring to this church, to this country, to this world. If only, yes, if only, if we, we will let him do it. If only we will let him. Let's, 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 let's not just read the book of Acts. Let's not just study the book of Acts. Let us live it. Otherwise, it's a wasted exercise. I'm telling you. Let's live it. Let's live it and let's embrace the same miracle that we have seen in the text. And it is coming. It is about to come. And it is on the air. I can feel it so deeply in my heart. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And the worship team is going to lead us through an amazing song about miracles. I want you to listen closely as they sing. And it's such a powerful song. It's, 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 it's actually struck a chord of resonance with the text I'm reading. And that is exactly the realm of miracle we need to enter as a church and as a country and as a world. Let's pray. Father, we invite you into our lives opening up even the darkest corners that we have been hiding from everybody else. And we want you to come and cleanse our heart. And we want you to turn us from hunters of truth to fishers of men. Lord, we don't want to kill for Christ. We want to die for Christ. Hunters kill, but fishers die. That's exactly when the resurrection power of the spirit of the Christ is going to manifest. We believe that it's going to come to the church. And we are so thankful for our leadership. We, thank, we are thankful for our members. And we are thankful for the city of Pasadena. We are, thank, we are thankful for everything you are doing and about to do. And we believe and we pray that the series on the book of Acts and the vision that you have given to Pastor Jeff Madison will be the beginning of the never-ending book of the book of Acts. In Jesus' name, amen.